Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. It is Monday, May 11th, 2020, and it is time, uh, donks, as I F this intro up, for Morning Combat. Hi, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of this hosting duo. Jeez, I'm having a rough morning here, but actually I'm not. I'm actually feeling great. I got some great sleep last night, but the good news is I am not the only person hosting today's program. One half of the other assignment is on the other side of the screen. You know this gentleman very well from CBS Sports, among many other places where he is cashing them checks like Takashi 69 and the new Gooba video. It is my friend and yours, Brian Campbell. Hi, Brian. How are you, buddy? Uh, I'm doing great, Luke. I am fired up. Loves what I got. Don't start a riot. Fights were back this weekend. I was injected. I am ready. I am fired up. I am pale and washy. Can't change that during the quarantine, but can change my optimistical thoughts about the future, Luke. This show was designed, as you like to often say, uh, to react to fights, to set up fights, to do things around live events. It feels really good to be back where we belong. Yeah, we can fill your quarantine hole with some dick pics and stuff, but we like doing the real thing, Luke. <laughs> we certainly do. A couple of housekeeping notes, BC, before we get started. First things first, give the video a thumbs up and subscribe. If you are new to this program, and you could be because you're catching that YouTube algorithm, Give us a subscribe. It's totally free. Tons of content coming your way, especially this week. You're going to want to stay tuned for that. And lots of great analysis here between BC and I. And as you mentioned, who doesn't love a a round of dick pics? I don't know. Yeah, That's his bit. You know, I'll let him explain that a little bit later. One more note on this, BC. First, if I can, uh, speaking of free, you want to get a free trial of Showtime in, you can do that. Go to Showtime.com right now. You can have a 30-day free trial. If you like it, you can stick around. If not, you can bounce and pound sand. Either way, BC, this show, Morning Combat, is gratis. Yes. Yes, it is. It is free. Okay? So can you subscribe already, folks? All right? Put the ring on it. Okay? You've been, you've been dabbling. You've been, you know, you know, you know, you've been circling the rim for a while. Let's get down to business here and make this, uh, let's consume, let's, let's consummate. Anyway, enough awkwardness. I'm not here for awkwardness. I'm here to excitedly react to fights. And just for the record, Showtime did make me sign an NDA that I would uh, not comment about any uh, testing that they provided me for uh, COVID heading into the show. But I'm ready. Let's go. Very good. All right, with that in mind, it's time now for topic number one as I expertly slide to the right to make room for graphics on the side of the screen here. Let's see them pop up. There they go. First off, BC, you go first on this one. As you know, UFC 249 in the books. Justin Gaethje becomes the UFC interim lightweight champion, although he threw his belt on the ground uh, immediately. Let's ask a very basic question. There's many, many to get to here about the situation. But first things first. Based on what we've seen in his career, based on what we've seen in this transformation, starting with the Michael, not Michael, the James Vick fight. Wow, I'm off today. 
and then culminating with the Tony Ferguson victory on Saturday, BC, is Justin Gaethje the guy to beat Khabib Nurmagomedov? Wow, that is a loaded question, Luke. He just might be, and the reason is because this is just personally. I'm going to take the L. I'm going to come out and say Justin Gaethje is a lot better of a fighter than I thought he was. I wasn't sleeping on his three-fight evolution to come back with those first-round knockouts. The, the, the patience and the poise, the added wrinkles from Trevor Whitman, I saw all that, right? I never thought that could be translated on a level where he could walk into hell with Tony Ferguson, a guy who is ready to risk it all at any time and be the... You know, be the more poised fighter, be the stronger fighter, be the smarter fighter, be everything across the board. Yes, he is a viable target for Habib Nurmagomedov. He is better than I thought he was. I'll take the L. He'll take the W. And I loved even more, Luke, our interim title debate aside from last week. People seem to get a kick out of that. People also seem to misrepresent or misinterpret what I was actually saying. I absolutely love, though, Justin Gaethje basically doing what Magic Johnson did in 1990 when Sam Perkins celebrating in the locker room after they go to the finals. He goes, no. <laughs> We don't celebrate Western Conference championships on this team, right? We act like you've been here. Wait for the real thing. I love that Justin Gaethje did that. I cannot wait for this fight. This guy was supposed to be left out of this title mix. He found his entry, Luke. He kicked the damn door in. There's so much I want to say about Tony Ferguson because I love and respect him. But this is Justin's moment, and he, he got me. Congratulations. Yeah, this was such an important win. I mean, I want you to think about something here very clearly, right? And by the way, I too thought Tony Ferguson was going to win. I thought it made sense if you wanted to throw some shekels on top of Justin as a betting possible choice. But you're right. We both outright picked Tony Ferguson. We were both wrong. We both should say it out loud. Nevertheless, though, I think we both took Justin Gaethje seriously. And he showed pretty clearly why he deserves to be taken seriously. But I want to make another point about this, BC, which is... There's a lot of really good fighters out there that we respect, that we like, that have nice, solid wins, impressive victories, come from behind moments without a real signature victory. And to this point, Justin Gaethje had some really nice wins. The Cerrone win was pretty good. The Barboza win was fantastic. Getting after Vic, after Vic called him the Homer Simpson of MMA, that had to feel pretty good. And of course, Michael Johnson was exciting. And the other fights where he lost were all exciting but to me, he didn't have that signature win. He did not beat an A-class opponent in a real way that made you say, I have to completely reevaluate this guy. I tweeted it on Saturday night. I will reiterate it here. This is not the Justin Gaethje that lost to Eddie Alvarez. This is not the Justin Gaethje that lost to Dustin Poirier. Now, I'm not saying those guys couldn't get a another win if there was a rematch, but they would be fighting a very, very different animal. Justin Gaethje did not have to fight in such a way, BC, where we're really able to tell exactly how he's going to match up with Nurmagomedov, right? He didn't do really any wrestling. A couple of sprawls and some down blocking, maybe you know, a handful of times, if that, and that was it. That doesn't really tell us if he's the guy to beat Nurmagomedov, but here's what he does tell us. It tells us he is in the upper echelon of that division. He is one of, in my mind, either the two or three best lightweights on earth, maybe the very best. And what intrigues me about it is not only did he ascend to a level of that division that I think a lot of folks were maybe a little bit skeptical he could when he came to the UFC, but now you are excited about the possibilities. You are wondering what's there. And what's so intriguing is that in many ways, BC, 
He's the opposite of Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov wants to strike as a function of either killing time in a round, catching his breath, changing things up a little bit, and then the wrestling is really how he wins. That is the, that is, that is the way in which he has plied his trade. Justin Gaethje now seven UFC fights, zero submissions attempted, zero takedowns attempted. That is unheard of, Incredible. especially for this division. He is the opposite in many ways of Nurmagomedov. We know he's an A-class talent. I am sad about what's happened to Tony Ferguson. I think many of us are. I respect what he did, but the better man won that night, and I am very intrigued by the possibilities. Yeah, I don't want to get off Justin Gaethje, uh, the topic at this moment, because I do want to double down and reinterpret. Uh, when James Vick was calling him Homer Simpson, he was. He was Arturo Gotti, which, by the way, is not a bad thing to be called. That means you're, you're in it for the entertainment. You're in it to please the fans and regularly go out there and just show how ballsy you are and how badass. Gaethje is, you know, in that discussion of the greatest in MMA history within that category. But that doesn't get it done at the end of the day to become an elite. The fact that he was able to make this evolution the way he has and raise his ceiling so dramatically. Like, I have so much respect for Tony Ferguson that Justin Gaethje and the way he performed on Saturday night. I mean, I, I'm i going from from from... This level to here, in my opinion and expectations of what Justin Gaethje is cre credible and capable of, because I did not ever believe I could see him put on a performance where he never sacrifices the savage nature and the danger he brings to a fight with being able to keep it up at a high technical level. Luke, his ability to balance those two together, his ability to swing for the fences at almost every turn, yet not gas out, not get too wild, and outside of that uppercut that he was nearly stopped with to end round two, never really put himself in a spot where he had become reckless. The ability to toe that line, I never thought it possible that Justin Gaethje could get there. Now you ask me to start this show. Does this make him a viable contender for Habib? I think we just have to go, I got to see it now because I don't know how good this guy can be. This was brilliance, the ability to take smash mouth style fighting and put it together with a smart game plan. Very few in history, Luke, have been able to do that. I love that term. And I would say this, you know who he reminds me of a little bit. The comparison will not make sense over its totality. It's not a totalizing comparison, but I will say this. Sometimes somebody comes along in a division and beats all the guys that they're not supposed to beat. Now, again, I don't know if he's going to beat Nurmagomedov. We have to see it. But I like his chances. I think he matches up, certainly at a bare minimum, in an interesting way, if not outright well. And I make this comparison to Fabricio Verdum. You know, Verdum is not considered to be the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he went in there and submitted Fedor. Uh, he's not considered to be the greatest heavyweight of all time, but he submitted the greatest submission heavyweight of all time in uh, Noguera. Again, not considered to be the best, but he goes in there and takes the title from Cain Velasquez in Mexico. Here's this guy that just comes along, and you have all these greats in your mind. You have this ranking in your mind, and one guy just wipes it all out. Now, again, there's many differences, many, many differences, BC, I think we'd agree, between the careers and the division that he operates in for Mr. Verdum and heavyweight, between Justin Gaethje and lightweight. I'm just here to say... <laughs> you have these rankings in your mind. Tony versus Abib is for everything. And I'm sad we're not going to get to see it. I want to say it one more time. But that's just not the way the cookie crumbles in this sport. The, the, some guys just take the sport by the scruff of the neck and they demand you give it to them. And on Saturday night, Justin Gaethje was one of those guys. 
and I want to like take a. I want to just remove from the table some of the opinions I saw in the aftermath that oh maybe Tony shouldn't have cut weight to fifty five a couple weeks ago or oh maybe he shouldn't have taken this fight maybe he shouldn't have you know he was preparing for a wrestler in Habib and then he had to change while certain kernels of that may be true. Um, here's where I, and, and Jay in my ear really want me to move on. I am not ready to say anything but that that was a 10 out of 10 performance from Gaethje because, Luke, I believe Ferguson came through with a 10 performance of his own, meaning you were going to have to kill him in that cage to beat him. And thankfully, Herb Dean stopped it at really the perfect moment because Tony is not going to go down. He took a cyborg level of shots. He took the equivalent of like 20 to 25 finishing shots and not only kept coming, that's one thing, but patiently was sort of in the fight despite getting knocked around like crazy. So that only adds to the performance of Justin Gaethje, like I mentioned, to never get caught into a super brawl, to never get caught in a reckless position, and to just stay the course. He had to beat a 12-fight win streak Tony Ferguson, who you can take nothing away from. Yes, I had said for a while, maybe this is too big of a gamble. I finally understood where he was coming from. He can't wait on Habib. He can't follow him around. He had to make his own history. He took that swing against Gaethje. He was really willing to risk it all. He came up empty, but that only adds to what Gaethje did on Saturday night. Full respect here. Last thing on this, I, I certainly echo everything you're saying, BC. And the other thing I would add here is, look, did it help that he had to go from, again, Nurmagomedov to arguably Nurmagomedov's opposite? It couldn't have helped. Did he have to cut weight three weeks out? It probably didn't help. But I just don't think yeah, I don't if I had hear to that say, stuff. is that... Yeah, is that the reason he lost? Or is the reason that he lost is that Justin Gaethje has utterly undergone a reformation of extraordinary proportions and does not get credit for how smart and talented of a fighter he is. Even today, BC, people are like, oh, Trevor Whitman is a genius. And he is. I would never say anything otherwise. He has guided this young man's career to great heights. He deserves a lot of credit. Don't take credit from Justin Gaethje either. He is smarter than he gets credit for. He makes great decisions in fights. He adhered to the game plan. He was disciplined, and he won, and it was no accident. All right. With that being said, BC, we'll go to you again on the, this one if we can. There's lots to discuss on 249. We're on limited clock. So let's go to the co-main event if we can. Henry Cejudo. Wow, man. What a performance by him. If you had told me he was going to win BC, I would not have been surprised who could be, right? He was favored to win. He goes out there and he stops Dominic Cruz in the second round with strikes, but then he retired. Let me ask you the question in this way. Let's say he is done, BC. Let's say this is not a ploy to get money, which it could be. If he's really done, he never fights again. What is Henry Cejudo's legacy? I almost don't want to entertain that question, Luke, because he's coming back. He's not done. We got to wake up. John Jones's tweet uh, illuminated it for some people, but the more you dig into uh, the comments of Cejudo afterwards where he said, Dana knows the price, quote-unquote, to get me back in there, I'll shelf that, though. I'll entertain your question. Brilliant performance, the ability to set up those leg kicks and take away the one avenue for victory that Dom Cruz may have had and then systematically take him apart. He's legitimately in the discussion right now for pound for pound best in the sport. I don't think he's better than Habib. I still got John Jones right there, but he is banging on that door. And to see what he's done with his opportunities, I'll echo it again. I did not believe he deserved the opportunity to fight for a title in a second weight class at that point. I didn't think he beat Demetrius Johnson in their rematch. But with all that said, every time they've given him the ball, he has 
come up and above your expectations. Knocking out Marlon Moraishi was a killer. All that we've seen, he's absolutely hit a slam dunk. It's hard to say, is he now what he says, the greatest combat athlete of all time? No. Is he in the discussion of that upper room that, you know, people like me allowed Demetrius Johnson and Daniel Cormier to get into in the last few years? That Silva, GSP, Fedor, you know, John Jones room, you know where I'm going here. No, I don't think he's there, but I'm insanely impressed. His four-fight win streak right now, now he's on a six-fight win streak, but that specific four-pack of fights, that's Mighty Mouse, Dillashaw, Marish, and now Dominic Cruz, I would put up there with anyone with the exception of the five-fight run that John Jones had beginning with the Shogun fight. I'll put that up there with or above any other four-fight stretch in UFC history. That's the respect I have for who he is. I don't think he's a goat, though. I do think you have to separate the hall of very good and great, but I do think he's exceptional at 33. I think he's taking a very large financial stand here because he sees himself as the Conor McGregor of the, of the small weight classes. He sees himself as the potential first legitimate Mexican-American star for the UFC. So I think what he's trying to do is this, Luke. It's not just about pay me. I think he's so smart that he's saying to himself, if I stay at Bantamweight, and I go through the gauntlet of Peter Jan, Aljamain Sterling, Corey Sanhagen, Marais a second time, on and on and on. I may win them all, but, you know, that's a lot of high-risk, somewhat low reward. Do you know what retiring right now is the best thing for him in his mind? He's giving away the belt so he doesn't have to defend it, and then he can come back for the type of one-offs, whether that be a featherweight title shot down the road, or whether that just be super fight, or fight another old name to put it on your resume. It's brilliant control of your career. Do you know who the real MVP is? You're not going to want to hear this. The real MVP at UFC 249, it ain't the, the, the COVID testers, it ain't Dana White getting the show back on the, on the it's Ali Abdel Aziz. What a freaking weekend for that guy. The way he's guiding these fighters, I thought the way Cejudo handled this retirement was absolutely brilliant. Sure, I wouldn't be opposed to saying that. He certainly has... Uh, a lot of people want to say Ali's success is accidental. I don't think it is accidental. Um, again, there may be some other criticisms to make of him, but that he has been... Uh, a very successful manager in MMA is not one you could you could make. You you have to acknowledge um, what he has done. So I would I would absolutely do that. But getting back to Henry Cejudo here for just a moment, if I may, to me when I think about again, if this is just some ploy to get more money in the way you which you have described, it very well could be. We'll have to see. Let's take the the press the the premise of the question for what it is. So let's say he's done. What is his legacy? First of all, it deserves to be said. This is one of the better retirements in MMA that I've ever seen. Uh, it happened in a strange way. It's happening at a strange time. But to go out on top, as you mentioned, in a four-fight win streak where four of those wins, excuse me, there are four wins, but then three of them, Dillashaw on PEDs, Marlon Marais up a weight class, Dominic Cruz up a weight class. He got those three via stoppage. That's the best four-fight win streak I've seen at any weight class, 145 and down. And as you mentioned, it's in competition with some other ones in the higher weight classes as well. So to me, you have this combination between a guy really coming into his own, a great moment to retire where you're not going out of the cage on your hands and knees. You're not taking fights you're not supposed to take. You're not in all this kind of physical and financial peril and it feels too soon, which tells you in many ways it could arguably be construed 
as being right on time. But the thing that really sits out for me is when I think about this, you're right. There was He was going to get an Aldo. He was going to get a Cruz. And then after that, he was going to have to face the buzzsaws of the Yans and the Sterlings and the Sandhagens. And there's just not a lot of money in that. We talked about it before. You want to be mad at uh, Henry Cejudo for following the very incentives the UFC sets out for champions when they're looking for big fights and how they make money? They make money based on celebrity. They don't make money based on challenge per se. You just have to acknowledge he's doing what the UFC is setting him out to do. I'll just say this. He was really coming to his own as a fighter. I agree he deserves to be ranked at the top of the pound for pound. Uh, or not at the top, but certainly in, the, in that space. I really wonder what he's capable of, a world-class athlete like this. And remember, he didn't beat Dillashaw Wrestling. Marais, there was a little bit of you know, sort of you know understanding these positions to help him. And there was good down blocking in this one as well. I think he had one minor takedown on Cruz. But he won it based on these other skills he had developed. I know he had done some boxing prior to wrestling. But you know a fuller array of kickboxing at this point with the leg kicks, as you saw. He could be something special if he keeps going. I mean, I know he already is, but I mean, really, really special. I really wonder now more. I don't think he could beat Volkanovski, but I got to tell you, my interest in seeing the fight went up a little bit. He's a world-class athlete. I, I am saddened. Uh, I am very, I, honestly, I'll say this. I am very sad about what happened to Tony, but Tony was able to do something really special, and so was Henry. But Henry feels like he's cutting it short before we could see the full breadth and depth of it. Tony's 36, 37. Yeah. It, yeah. it just kind of kills me a little bit, you know? I want to ask you this. If you believe what I just said about Cejudo's strategy right now in terms of matchmaking, what are the potential super fights that could interest you at lightweight and I'm sorry, at below what lightweight in the first half of the small weight classes? If Cejudo is going to essentially try to become a, a contract killer and only take the biggest fish available for big money, are there those type of fights that interest you? Honestly, they're at 145 at this point because 135, if you're talking about just great fights with great talents, it's such an interesting talent-rich, youth-driven division, but these guys just haven't had a chance to assert themselves. And the one bad thing for Bantamweight, we've discussed a million times now, it's always better when one fighter takes the title from another. When one champion has to just gift it back, it makes that transference of celebrity kind of hard. And I'll say this, BC, you know what's kind of sad also about Cejudo is that I remember when he first finished the Olympics and there were rumors of him getting into... Uh, you know, starting MMA, and he was not doing well at first. He had some weight cut issues, of course, as we saw, and he had wins, but they were real lackluster, and he wasn't training with the right people and blah, blah, blah. Number one, he ironed all that out, but the fact that he got labeled and did it to himself as the king of cringe, when to me, he could have been the guy who picked up the torch from Cain Velasquez to really draw in those uh, Latino American fans, to really bring them out. If you had not seen UFC 121, and you look in the audience, and you just see who's there, and it was a different complexion, um, he could have been that guy. He still could be that guy if he finds a way. Instead, he became, in terms of this inside the MMA bubble, this sort of like this sideshow stuff, which really detracts from what a fantastic talent he actually was. Yeah, very comparable to me creating the Have You Seen This Shit segment when other people are going, <laughs> oh, that guy can actually pull off a real interview too. It's probably the demise of my career, Luke, but thanks for being part of it. That's what I'm here to do, buddy. That's what I'm here to do. All right, we go to now the other fight on the main card. That was uh, breathtaking in its own way. Although, if you were holding your breath, you didn't have to hold it for very long, BC. Francis Ngannou scores an 18-second KO in the very first round over Jarzinho, Rosenstrike, Rosenstrike, however you want to say it. Um, what the hell 
is he supposed to do now that the division <laughs> is on ice? The good news, BC, is that Cormier saying, I'll fight him if it's if they strip Stipe. But I don't think they want to strip a first responder in the middle of a pandemic who is saying, I'm willing to fight. I just need to be in a place where, hello, the gym is open. BC, I know you don't want to revisit it, uh, but I think it's time to revisit it. Look, the biggest reason to have granted an interim title shot oh, between no. Nganu and Rosenstreich, hear me out now. I-, I didn't mind at all what Justin Gaethje said and did when he threw the belt off. It's not because I think that that guy should be considered right alongside Nurmagomedov. It's not that. What I really cared about is just getting these guys more money. And Justin Gaethje, when he fights Nurmagomedov, is going to get more money. Big Francis is not. To me, that's terribly unfair and a missed opportunity. But at this point, dude, he had an 18-second fight. Now, I know he had a long camp. Are we really going to wait until the fall to get this guy back out here? They have some very hard decisions to make now. And to be honest, I don't know what the answer is. Because if you strip Stipe, that is terrible press. But you could do it, and you could have a fight with Cormier. That's an option. But it has really bad PR. Or you could have him fight Derek Lewis again, which is risky and could blow up everything he's going for because I would think you would agree he's earned a title shot. I don't know how much appetite there is on either guy's end for that, though, which could make that hard to make. To me, if you had given this guy a belt, I think it would have made him more patient to sit around. And if he had to defend it, he could have potentially gotten more money along the way. To me, a missed opportunity. Yeah, I, I have a hard time even defending my own argument. Now, I stand by my own argument that just littering uh, interim belts devalues the overall title, and I do stand by that. Like, yeah, I want these guys to get paid. I don't want it to come at the expense of that. I think UFC can be much more creative in how they figure out the payment structure. But we do have a problem right now because if they just run him against Derek Lewis and put an interim title at stake, I mean, again, it's, it's, it's kind of cheesy. Like, like Derek Lewis doesn't necessarily even deserve an interim title opportunity. The only one who might is Cormier. And if you're Cormier, he said it best on the broadcast on Saturday. He said, I want to see Francis Ngannou fight for a title more than anybody. I just don't want him to see it against me. Now, of course, he, he laughed and then <laughs> rightfully said, you know, of course I'd fight him, right? I don't think he'd fight him for an interim title. So really the best thing that needs to happen is Stipe get into a camp right now. Like the, the Ohio State commission just basically says, okay, Stipe's gym can open up. And we basically start the process of Stipe DC3, which can we like realize how historic that fight actually is? I feel like we keep talking about it as an afterthought. Stipe himself is talking about it as an afterthought. The winner of that's the greatest heavyweight in UFC history and really right up there with Fedor. So can we give that fight the potential respect it deserves? I know it's hard when when Frank the Tank is, is just knocking fools out. This four-fight knockout streak, which is the Blades rematch in like 20 seconds, JDS, Cain Velasquez, and now this, all four in 71 seconds or less. It was so freaking scary in like a in like a real organic way. Like remember like the first time you watched pro wrestling as a kid and you watched like a evil heel and you're like it's coming through the screen. You're like, oh my God, like if I watch this more, he might kick my ass. It's the only time I've seen that kind of feeling in regular fights is the original build of Mike Tyson as heavyweight champion where you're like, this guy is so crazy. He could kill anybody. That seven punch combination that Nganu just basically went into and just figured, you know what? One of these is going to knock him out. I mean, that's certainly not like traditional Orthodox MMA, but the fact that he's rebuilt himself mentally and, and sort of gets the business now and gets his role and understands what he has to do to be his very best, he is such a unique attraction. 
And how is anybody going to stand up against that? Yeah, I watched Stipe go five rounds and take a big shot early and then expose him. I do not think the rematch will look like that. And I can't wait to see Nganu get that shot. But I don't want to ruin what we have now. So here's my here's my pitch. Nganu, I know you only needed 20 seconds to give Rosenstrick his first L. Just, just stay in the gym and sit tight. Don't take any fight but the real thing because that's what's supposed to happen. He reminds me in many ways, and I was—I I did a live show on my YouTube channel after the fight, and folks were asking me about comparisons, and I didn't think of it until one of my viewers brought it up, so I'll give them credit. I forget their name, but they were asking, is he like Deontay Wilder? And in some senses, yes, right? Uh, he doesn't have the same, obviously he's speaking in a second language, so I'm telling you, that's very difficult to do. I give him lots of credit for how well he has already done in the second language and how much better he gets day over day, first of all. But, sec but second of all, like... Deontay is sort of known as having all these other weaknesses but the bomb. And to be clear, Nganu has a lot of weaknesses by virtue of the fact that he's just not been doing this very long. And he also has the bomb. But his bomb, I mean, with the smaller gloves, it just seems to have an impact more quickly. You had mentioned the four white wins there. I think Mike Bond of MMA Junkie had said if you add them all up, it's just two minutes and 45 seconds. Like, dude, that is shocking. That is a shocking amount of... of uh, of, of power translated into fighting efficiency. I talked to people in his camp. They told me that was the wrong combination. He was supposed to finish it with a kick and instead just decided to throw a left hook on the go and it still had that kind of an impact. Like He just improvised in the moment and it still laid this guy out completely who, by the way, had nearly 80 kickboxing fights. Uh, it, it is To me, it's like he's got the power of Wilder. He doesn't have that American bombast, but I, I think that there were just not... There's an opportunity if they can find a way, if they can find a way, BC, to get this guy busy. He is more marketable than I think a lot of folks, um, if not necessarily realize, that we've just produced to this point. There's more to this story here. And everyone loves a hard scrabble story, the kind that he has coming from Cameroon, real hardcore dirt poverty, and to translate what he's translated into. And his coaches tell me, dude, you've not seen it. His ground game has gotten so much better. His cardio is better. He can go five rounds. They're telling me he's requesting five rounds in the gym instead of three just to make sure that he's on point. doesn't really matter if you knock a guy out 18 seconds. All my point is on this one is, there's no easy answer. I'll just say if they have to keep him on ice until the winner of DC versus Stipe, that is a very suboptimal outcome given what it he's is, ready for and, and how and how I think he's at like 34 at this point. It's not not a great not a great time for him. But an interim title bout against an opponent who doesn't deserve an interim title opportunity, and it's already a fake title, that's suboptimal. But I think that loss he had, the two losses back-to-back, -back, Stipe and Lewis, were the, were the absolute greatest thing that could happen to him. He is so mentally where he needs to be. Some people said, how could he not call out Stipe afterwards? You know, I thought he just handled it perfectly because he handled it who he is. He's basically like, I can't control UFC's title system and their opportunities. I'm just basically going to keep knocking fools out. So I love that. Uh you know, you mentioned his hard scrabble story. Don't forget he was homeless too in Paris, living out of his car when he first moved there and tried to chase this MMA dream. All he needs is a snaggle tooth and he's basically Jewel. We love this type of story, all right? Hey, and also, and now while we're here in the 90s, um, it's 2020. I love that our producer, Jay, who's in my ear telling me to get to the next topic. I love that he could have all this great technology sent to my house and yours, Luke. And we can make this show, by the way, during this quarantine, the best produced show there is in the game. And it is, okay? It's way better than our competitors. Jay cannot produce the 90s counter, though. 
No, he's not. He's very, very, very bad at that. Jay's bad at most things. Uh, unless you want to talk about unintentionally bad um, cover band imitations. And then he's all over it. He's got that on lock. Okay. With that, uh, it takes us to the next topic, BC. Let's get to it. Now, UFC 249, we knew on paper it was a great card going in. Certainly, we can both say UFC 249 as an event delivered. But it wasn't all good news. There was some bad news as well. Jacare and two of his cornermen tested positive for the coronavirus. They had to be, well, the, the fight with Uriah Hall and Jacare got removed from the card. And there, had, there was a, a lot of bad news that came out on Friday and a lot of questions that remain. By the way, a ton of press, both on the positive side for the UFC, about the event. Chris Mannix over at Sports Illustrated giving it glowing remarks. And then also I saw Bloomberg writing about it negatively. I saw the New York Times writing about it negatively. I saw the Washington Post writing about it negatively. So it's a bit of a mixed bag. Let me go to you first on this one, BC. Overall the weekend, from the Jacare news to the afterglow of the fight, what kind of response do you have to everything? What grade would you give the UFC's general effort here? Uh, effort wise and, and success rate, I'd give it right about a C plus B minus because I do give Dana White and UFC a ton of credit for pulling this card off and constantly fighting. Yes. Not going to dig it all back up. There were times it was completely reckless, but joining with the state commission, doing it the right way, paying a lot of money, which I know Dana brags about that a lot to get people off his back, but it's true. They set up seemingly the right structure and protocols to make this happen. In the end, it wasn't perfect. Um, that system is set up. It, it, it's kind of hard to be perfect. This is the unknown. It's unprecedented. I hope, and I think I've seen, based on Ariel Hawani's subsequent reporting on Twitter, that the UFC learned from this Jacare situation, which hopefully ends up being just a great scare. And what I mean by that is Jacare disclosed to them ahead of time that he had been in contact with a family member who had covid and to see him allowed to kind of just, you know, roam that hotel, and you saw, of course, on Fabricio Verdum's uh, Instagram live feed, I know he's wearing a mask and glove, but he's within one foot of everybody, giving everybody uh, the fist bump and all that. That seemed reckless when UFC hadn't yet received the results of his test. So then they find out him and his, his team uh, have, have the COVID they, with asymptomatic. They put them in their own, you know, sequestering. And suddenly that press release comes out and says, we did all the right protocol. Well, you really didn't. And I'm not here necessarily to damn them for that. I'm just saying I hope that they learn from that moment. They tighten things up even more because somebody had to be first. There's no perfect game plan to do this. I am here to tell you I, I'm happy what UFC did. They pulled this card off. I was insanely entertained. Just from a straight-up entertainment standpoint, not only did it great to feel great to have this card back, the card was freaking awesome. And it's my job, so I love getting an opportunity to do my job. But with all that said, they are one bad COVID disaster in black eye away from it all falling apart. So hopefully the Jacare situation is just a big scare in the end, Luke. The other half of it is why my grade for them comes down pretty substantially. At the end of the day, Luke, I don't read fighter contracts. I don't know what's normal. Them putting some kind of clause in a contract that says a fighter can't say something that's a lie about the COVID testing or they get fined. That To me, that's between fighter and UFC. I almost don't care about it. That's their business. But to have members of the media sign things that don't just say we're not liable if you get sick. I understand that. We're in unprecedented situations, right? You use the restroom at the Vice Star Veterans Memorial Arena and you catch a bad thing. I understand you can't sue UFC. But if there's any element in that contract which the media members were forced to sign and they did, 
that says they could be fined for certain public comments against UFC's handling of this. This is the beginning of communism. This is unacceptable. And I, I, I heard Dana White's reaction to it at the press conference in, in his interview with Kevin Ioli of Yahoo. And, uh, you know, he sort of just tried to downplay it, said this is normal. We've seen subsequent reporting from people like John Nash on Twitter who have sort of countered that. Um, this is going too far when you're doing things that even on the surface give the impression that you're muzzling people like us whose jobs are to report on things. That's where I'm like, this is fishy and I don't like the direction of it. Yeah, I'm with you. If I go to cover a UFC event and they grant a credential and somehow through the course of it, with them taking their safety precautions and everything else involved, and I somehow still get COVID-19, that's a risk I took. I don't really have any issue with saying I'm not going to sue you or whatever the case may be because I trust them to not be dangerously negligent. I trust them to do at least some kind of a good job. And if it just happens when I'm out there, I, I, I either got in a car or got on a bus or got on a train or got on a plane knowing the risk that I was potentially undertaking. I don't have an issue with that. I have a major issue with the other non-disparagement clause. And I know Dana White afterward, he was reacting to a guy who was, let's be honest, technically sort of our boss. I guess he's our boss. Yeah, Steven Espinosa. Uh, of tier of Showtime, and he was saying that the disparagement clause only says if you say anything untrue. It, that is absolutely not an accurate depiction of what non-disparagement clauses uh, entail. It means anything that could be insulting. In fact, a lot of non-disparagement clauses, I spoke to many lawyers over the weekend about this in contract law, a lot of non-disparagement clauses will be, they'll specify exactly what disparagement entails. This one does a little bit of that, but it leaves things so open-ended, it could be just about anything. And they say, Dana White's saying, well, only if you report things that aren't facts. Okay, if I said that they weren't doing COVID testing, that would clearly be uh, not factual, right? But what if I said their COVID testing isn't good? Well, now we're getting to a point where we're having to interpret what that means. Is that true? Is that false? That's a very difficult question to actually kind of answer. And to me, it's just, a, even if they're not even going to enforce it, it's just a chilling message to send to media. And I, I want to forgive the media here a little bit because... I know how the game works. Their employers are going to say, listen, it's MMA. We don't really care about journalistic standards. Just go sign the thing and then tape the scrum and do what you got to do. I get it, dude. They're between a rock and a hard place, and I understand that, and I really, I, I, I totally get that. But at the same time, the UFC, if they want to say, media, come cover us, COVID, you're on your own, okay, I get it. But if we are now being dictated to or at least having to sign documents around the type of coverage we provide, that's PR, I mean, that's not, that's not any kind of real, honest media. It's not what we're here for. It's not what we're aiming to do. Okay, with that said, grading the overall weekend, I'm going to give them a B, BC. I'm going to give them a B. And the reason why is because I thought the event, in terms of its production, the tweets on the screen got a little much, but I thought the, car, the card was great. <laughs> I thought the production was phenomenal. I thought everyone there, from the commentary crew to the uh, everything in between, I thought they did a great job with it. It was a home run event in terms of just the fights themselves, what they produced, and how that part of it was handled. In terms of the COVID situation with Jacare, I don't want to go crazy on him. I'll just say this. I think we can all agree on something. If you're the first to do something, BC, you're going to learn by doing. So we should... Be allow a degree, a degree of leniency with the UFC to say, we know no matter how good they try, how hard they try the first time, we know that's not what the policy is going to look like six months down the road. They're going to figure out what works, what doesn't, what's necessary, and what's not there. The disparagement clauses kind of tell you they were trying to do a little bit of CYA, but again, we've already covered that. 
To me, here's the problem. When they say the system worked, they're not wrong, which is the whole idea they had was screen everybody up front, contain it, take them to the fights, and then let them be. We can control everything in that environment. If that's what you're designed to do, as an idea, that's not bad. The problem is they haven't really filled in the blanks, which is, okay, let's say somebody tests positive on Thursday. Let's say somebody tests positive on Friday. I know they sent out a new note to fighters being like, hey, have you had any symptoms before you show up? Fighters are going to have an incentive to lie about that like they do everything because if they don't lie about it, they don't get to fight. If they don't get to fight, they don't get paid. We know how many times they they don't disclose having the flu, having twisted ankles, broken bones even, just so they can get to go and fight. So to me, that's not much of an effective screen. All I'm saying is what that system that they've built in needs is for them to ask themselves the question, what happens if something breaks down at every individual stage afterwards? Now, how do we handle it? Because their entire system is built with front-loading security and then just maintenance all the way through. I don't think that's enough. I don't think that's going to carry them through. They need to have other pieces where if someone hits the fire alarm halfway through a Friday, they've got other mechanisms in place to contain that individual fire while keeping everybody else safe. So they're going to learn by doing, but there's definitely room for improvement. Yeah, and to close on this, uh, it was unique to have the empty arena with the commentary being heard by the judges, by the fighters. It's going to change for as long as this lasts, kind of how things are done. Fighters openly said, I heard DC giving advice on how I could win this fight and criticism, and they took it. We've really never seen anything like that at the pro elite level. Um, I'm not worried what it does to judges. It's just interesting. I think it adds another layer of entertainment. I don't know how they fix that unless they put them in some kind of booth above the arena. But uh, this is part of, uh, they took a chance. They put this card out. It was a huge success. Just don't just don't mute your, your peeps, all right? All right? Yeah. Just don't mute. Yeah. Just don't mute and, us. And continue to learn about your COVID policy, uh, your protocol, and continue to improve it. Okay, last but not least, BC, th- we already said it. 249 had a ton of great fights, a ton of important ones. We've talked about Big Francis. We've talked about Henry Cejudo. We've talked about uh, Justin Gaethje. Who have we not talked about, BC? Who is another standout performer in your mind that deserves to be shouted out on today's broadcast? Sir, give them a hand. Uh, I want to say uh, half points. Half point to Donald Cerrone. I predicted he'd get knocked out. This would be his fourth consecutive loss. He loses a spirited competitive rematch with Anthony Pettis. It was really great matchmaking. The preliminary card main event. Donald Cerrone dialed back in with the pressure off and really turned back the clock. That looked like Donald Cerrone against Eddie Alvarez a few years back with a game plan with toughness. Those two just came out there on like two and a half weeks of a camp and just banged. It was fun to see. I was happy for Donald Cerrone because... You had to fear he was entering Chuck Liddell territory during the twilight of his career. The other thing is, you know what should have been the fight of the night? Gage G in, in Ferguson ended up getting the nod. That was a savage fight. It was a lot at stake. It wasn't the fight of the night. Shout out to Vicente Luque and Nico Price. It got buried in the undercard. There were no fans in the arena to watch it. But Luke, that rematch between them, they put on an absolute war. I knew who Nico Price was. I'd seen him fight before. I wasn't really woke to the character that I was dealing with. This guy's an absolute psychopath in every possible way that I love, Luke. Um, you got to follow him now every fight the rest of his career if you weren't already. These guys were insanely entertaining, and in some ways they kind of set the tone for the fun that would come the rest of the evening. I mean, to think that this fight was on the undercard, if this fight had taken place 10 years ago, or even, let's say, 15, 2006 or so to 14 years ago, 
they would call that one of the all-time classics. We just take it as prelim card, not filler exactly, but, you know, minor attraction. That's how good MMA fighting has gotten. And I agree, Nico Price, an incredible talent. Vicente Luque had a rough fight against Wonderboy, came back and rebounded against a ready Nico Price, who he'd already beaten before. I take my hat off to both gentlemen. But the gentleman I want to shout out on this card, if I may, BC, Calvin Cater. Wow, man. I talked to him about two weeks ago to see how he was doing. Like all these fighters, they were trying to do their best with a stay-at-home, shelter-in-place, whatever kind of orders that were there. They were trying to figure out the best way to train. He was supposed to fight at UFC 248, and then that got delayed to 249. Then 249 got delayed till May 9th. He had what ended up as a 15- or 16-week camp for this, and he still did not have burnout. Took a little bit of time to get going, but not as much as usual, and came out there. And Jeremy Stevens, who I know had missed weight, but Jeremy Stevens looked locked on and dialed in from the word go in this one and was landing good shots. But Calvin Cater is so talented. He is so smart. He has some of the best boxing in all of the UFC, irrespective of division, and I absolutely mean the words that I'm saying right now, and then to trick him up with that Carlos Condit versus Thiago Alves, where it looks like we're in punching range, exchanging hooks, and then I go to the elbow, that was magnificent, Oof. BC. J- Jeremy Stevens, I give him credit, dude. That guy's got wins and he's yes. got losses. He's, fight- he's fought the best of his generation, and I want to make sure we say that, but Calvin Cater is absolutely a contender at 145 pounds. Look out. Yeah, your boy Joe Rogan called Cater the dark horse of the division coming in, and uh, I think that woke a lot of people up. Shout out to Jeremy Stevens' tan, by the way, Luke. I'm going to go as far as saying that's the second best tan in UFC history behind that time. Stefan Bonner roided it up to face Anderson Silva and, and, and got, the, got the six-pack abs. Shout out to that. Well done. All right, fair enough. That takes us now, BC, to where you donks out there get to ask us questions. It's time now for DMs from donks. As we wait for the two-second delay here. Yeah, Jay, you on this? We got the, yeah, uh, Jay, the animation. Sleep, Jay is asleep at the fucking wheel. There we go. Jay's back watching videos of uh, that boy band, No Escape. Oh, well, they didn't run the animation, did you, Jay? You didn't run the animation, did you? That was awesome. Well, the show was great, PC. I appreciate it. All right, well, let's get to the first question because Jay apparently... Cat, Cat got your tongue? Boy, Jay's got a lot to say when things are going right. <laughs> When things are going wrong, have you noticed he gets quiet as a church mouse in the ear? All right, BC, first question for you. This comes to us from Ginger Beard Tommy. All right, here we go. Uh, Let's see. Taking recency bias into account, which is the biggest MMA fight that got away? A, Lesnar versus Fedor. B, St. Pierre versus Silva. Or C, Khabib versus Tony. That's a tough question. Um, I'm going to pick B, Luke, because uh, it, it, commercial always seems to matter more than critical in terms of when we look back. And, and look, St. Pierre versus Silva commercially w- would have been absolutely massive had it come at the end of their respective runs as the absolute elites of their own divisions. I think also... There were some elements that, you know, you could have titled that as like, who's the greatest fighter of all time? We're going to find out in that fight. Now, it wouldn't have been true based on that matchup. But although the other two are more important fights that we needed to see for certain hierarchies, this would have been the most fun and would have drawn the most pay-per-view buys of the three of them. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's generally correct. Khabib versus Tony is, you know, it's weird, BC. Like, I said I'm sad about it, but I don't think it's fully set in what we lost, you know, because let me just say this. The problem for Tony is that he, he, like Lesnar Fedor just kind of never materialized and 
they kind of just went on with their lives in different ways. Um, obviously, he went to Strike Force for Fedor, but with this one, Tony lost at this moment that Justin is ascending, and the uniqueness of his ascension is kind of not shadowing and drowning out the loss of Khabib Tony, but. I mean, maybe it is a little bit for me because I'm so focused on how well he's doing. I haven't had time to process that loss, but I would generally agree with you about B. You want to say something? I was just going to say, to add on to the heartbreaking nature, like, I really believe, like, look, I don't know if Justin Gaethje can beat Habib, right? Like I said, the ceiling's now, I I can't put a limit to it. I genuinely in my heart believe that outside of, like, a perfect punch from McGregor when he's at his very prime, I believe Tony Ferguson was the only lightweight capable of, of, you know, outside of a fluke, giving Habib a loss during this lightweight run. So it is, like, we got to take time to mourn this, right? Five times they tried to do it. Maybe we get it in some form of aftermarket version, but it will never be the same. Tony Ferguson's 12-fight win streak was absolutely insane. I know it's not all killer on that, but to be able to keep that together, to be able to survive the injury that he had and come back in six months and do no physical therapy and just be crazy. I mean, the guy's... Remember that time at that uh, at that uh, public weigh-in? He ran off the stage and gave you like this, like a crystal, like some kind of like. Uh, no, was that was, for? A- it was. It was a. Uh, it was a uh, grip trainer. Oh, I thought it was some kind of like Kabul, like spiritual, like uh, black magic thing. No, it was just training grip. That's it. Okay. Well, sorry. Well, yeah. It just you. looked cool. Uh, all right. From Pulse Reloaded. Question for Luke and Brian is. Is prime Anthony Rumble Johnson versus current Francis in a street fight? Ooh, who wins and would someone die? That's a morbid question. Jesus, BC, yeah, you want to tackle that, that one is. first? Um, um, I don't think anyone would die, but that's, I mean, that's an absolutely insane fight. By the way, uh, Rumble wants that smoke. You know, I talked to him at that last uh, UFC Vegas card when they did that Ali Abdelaziz media day. Rumble is, is still getting ready to come back at either 205 and heavy, and that's a name excuse me, uh, on his short list, along with John Jones, along with, you know, any of the super elites. So we may see that. Yeah, I have no idea what would happen on there. I even thought what was great about the Ngannou-Rosenstruck fight on paper is I didn't know what that was going to look like. Like, yeah, if you asked me who was going to win, Ngannou had better experience and maybe was a more well-rounded finisher in terms of his abilities. But uh, that's it. That's, oh, man. I mean, that's like... Can we take the best porn star of like the '70s and of the '90s and put them together in like a mythical bedroom in their primes, right, Luke? Or that, so that's that like that so. Weird? So I won't say what they're famous for, but if you've watched as much pornography as me, you'll get this. That's like Sylvia Saint versus Asa Akira, right? Like Kobe Bryant and Kobe Ty at a at a Colorado. Uh, too soon. Too soon. Here, here's what I'd say: If they ever fought in a street fight, number one, better not be in an actual street. Like, please fight on grass. Right, so someone's head doesn't bounce off the pavement. Number one, number two, I give the speed edge to Rumble, but even then, I don't know anybody that hits like Francis, dude. I just well, like he's he's another. What what do you 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 cover boxing? What do you make of him as the Deontay Wilder of this heavyweight division? Yeah, no, the comparison is great. Where one punch and any kind of punch, even kind of gradually, you know, grazing somebody, can finish him. I want to just say this about that seven-punch wacky combination that he ran at Rosenstruck with and basically made him go like this. That's so freaking unorthodox, Luke, and I swear if you do that against any elite fighter, you may cause them to freeze in headlights and, and get him out of there. Like, can you game plan for that? A guy that big just rushing at you with helicopters? I mean, it's crazy. To, I think you either have to get out of the way 
or you got to be like DC where you get underneath it and try to pick him up and drop him. Because I think if you like, here's what Rosenstruck tried to do. If you go back and you watch the tape, he was leg kicking him and actually connecting with punches as he was backing up. Like he, dude, he, I give credit to old Jair Zinho, dude. He was, he might be a crazy bastard, but he's a brave one, right? He, I mean, the dude had huevos. He was trying to meet fire with fire. And maybe that works in kickboxing to a better degree. But with those little gloves and Big Francis just barreling down on you, it works for about 18 seconds is the is the answer. That's how long it works. Debate, Not great. This, no, you're right. And let me settle the spirit of this question. I think Anthony Rumble Johnson hits harder with one perfect shot, but I think Francis Ngannou can knock you cold with more types of shots. I think that's okay. All right, next we have Alexander Zishishish. Shishish, Shishish. What is? Yeah, I'm not sure. Nietzsche, what is your preferred MMA crowd? A, drunk but energetic. B, Japanese. C, none. BC. <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with drunk but energetic. Of I'm down with the did. real thing. Of course things. you did. Give me the just bleed guy. Give me all those people who think they're dressed up really nice, but really they have an affliction t-shirt under their tight dress shirt and in the and the stylish jeans with the bedazzled ass patch. Give me those people who who feel like they're classy because I mean, look, I've been in a lot of arenas for pro wrestling, MMA, and boxing at the highest level. UFC's in-arena experience is unlike anything, and certainly that's because they know how to play the right song at the right time and have the video screens placed properly, but it's also because that crowd comes ready to thirst for violence from from the opening second. It's not a late-arriving celebrity crowd like my brethren in boxing. It is a we-are-here-to-see-people you know, potentially die in that cage in front of me and and I couldn't be happier crowd. And that's that's yeah. the reality of it. That that's the truth. Look, that's the damn truth, all right? Uh for you. I will go with B. I will go with Japanese. Uh, I oh, did yeah, not that's so trendy. That's so tr- they sit on their hands, Luke. That's so trendy, yeah. okay? Yeah, thank God. Don't you yeah. sit on your hand during yes, this show. They don't they don't act like uh primates who throw their feces at one another when they get angry. Yes. God forbid that they act remotely civilized. I don't love everything about the Japanese crowds, but you're asking me for a choice. I'm going to go in those three with Japan. Here's why. When we were watching 249 BC, I was so happy to not hear woos. Oh, my God. It is just... Get o- Luke, no, let me finish. have to get over uh, you, the you had, you had your chance. It's a big deal. You, it is a big deal. It makes it so unpleasant. It makes it absolutely awful. The booing, I don't like, but I've just learned to live with. That, that doesn't bother me as much. But I will say this, BC, and this is where the part that I really miss the fans. No one makes the good part of MMA as a live experience as well as the fans do. When the fans are cheering for McGregor and they're and they're and they're in song together and in unison, that can't be topped. You go back to UFC Dublin where Connor beat um, Diego. What's his face? I forget now. Um, Brandao. Brandao, Luke. And and to see that crowd, they, if imagine if there was no crowd for UFC Dublin, would UFC Dublin have been as good as it was? No, it would not have been. They were an integral piece of that puzzle, and I can acknowledge that. And yes, there's beer flying. I don't mind that. We've all seen World Cup videos where they're showing some big park in the middle of Amsterdam, and then the Dutch score, and everyone's chucking their beer in the air. Dude, that's great. I'm all in favor of that. I just can't stand the woos so much that I'd rather take a 24-hour flight to Tokyo, if, that, if that's what it required, just so I wouldn't have to hear it. I hate them that much. 
Luke, you just hate pro wrestling, which I get. Look, I'm souring to a certain degree. I don't cover it as much anymore. Um, I love the real thing a lot more, believe me. But uh, it's just people celebrating that they're there partying, having a good time. And I also think the average white lager drinking, just bleed stereotypical MMA crowd is a smarter crowd than we give them credit. They pick up on the beginnings of, of uh, momentum switches. And those that's actually the best part when you can feel it thundering in the arena that somebody's beginning what looks like it could be a comeback. Um, I stand by those people. And that's nothing against the Japanese folks, but I stand by those people, okay? Yeah, dude, I, again... Luke. I, I think MMA crowds have gotten so much better in terms of the totality of the experience. Notice I'm saying one thing. The booze, I can live with. That's not a reason to chuck the baby out with the bathwater. It's the woos, dude. It's like, dude, do we have to do this at every event in every city for no discernible reason other than you don't feel like public space is a thing that you have an obligation to maintain in an orderly and civilized way? I just like being a good neighbor, BC. I mow my lawn on time and I pay my taxes. You know what I'm saying? That's all. No, your neighbor actually asked you if they could <laughs> ma uh, landscape your yard for you because you've become such a pariah in the neighborhood, and you basically told them off. So don't act like you know you're you're this friendly guy. You're also telling stories about going out in D.C. with uh, PTSD guys and just knocking fools out and dragging them by their wife beater. Don't give me that, Luke. I know who you are on the inside. All right. Yeah, that's true. I'm also a deranged hypocrite. All right. With that in mind, we go to Denny Bond fan 007. What martial arts action stars would have done well in MMA, BC? What do you think? I, okay, look, I'm the biggest Steven Seagal fan there possibly is in terms of his the cheesy, the amazing cheesiness and brutality of his prime movies. And that prime run was very small. He went direct to DVD really quick despite having that, uh, that, that somewhat memorable comeback when he paired himself with uh, top rappers of the moment. But to see the the quickness of his Aikido and, you know, we've seen him in a lot of instructional videos with Anderson Silva and certain guys. And, you know, I just want to see if that could actually translate to the octagon. I want to see if that ability to just have insanely fast hands and redirect somebody who's charging at you can be packaged with well-rounded traditional mixed martial arts skills and see if a guy wearing a kimono with a long braid who probably touched all the females in the room illegally before he walked in uh, could actually pull that off. That's my choice. I am old enough to remember when it was discussed heavily on what was previously MMA.TV, now MixedMartialArts.com, and then Joe Rogan made the call out during a broadcast of a UFC pay-per-view Wesley Snipes, for those who don't know, there was a time when it was rumored, and I think they even tried to do, and I, at least there was some kind of uh, momentum towards making a Joe Rogan versus Wesley Snipes fight yes. during a UFC event. Uh, and Joe was all in, uh, my memory serves, I could be wrong about this, Joe was all in favor of it. We're talking about like, you know, what, what Hollywood celebrity. Now, I don't know what action star. Okay, so Joe is not an action star because he's not had that kind of career, but he's been in Hollywood, he's been on major television shows. The answer is Joe Rogan or Wesley Snipes. I would love to see that fight. Or I mean, maybe not now. They're kind of older and long in the tooth. But 10, 15 years ago when they were talking about it, 15 years ago, BC, I'm not mad at it. I'm not well, mad Wesley at it at all. Had, no, you, Wesley Snipes had some tax issues and had to, had a jail term coming, so I think he was fairly desperate. But, uh, yeah, that would have been great. Um, you know, I mean, anyone can say Van Damme, all these other guys, whatever. What about Michael Jai White? Remember that those videos of him showing Kimbo how to land sneaky yeah. punches? That could be interesting. Yes, yeah. this is the gentleman who Billy you may Blanks? not recall for no? folks who are watching. Right. This is the one yeah. that um, no, this is this is the one that Mike Perry uh, openly called the N word on Twitter. 
Uh, he has been in a bunch of movies, including a movie that I did not think they pulled off all that well, but I appreciate what they tried, which was Spawn. You ever seen the movie Spawn, which was, came from the uh, Image comic books, the, the Spawn series, who's like a sort of Faustian no. deal kind of upside down Batman? No? I have not seen it, Luke. Am I coming uh, in, in clear? And I think I'm having internet troubles. Can you hear me? Can you see me? I no, know we're live. Luke. I see you. I see you just fine. But uh, is your uh, Zoom screen like super blurry, like it was when we tried to watch Vasquez yeah, Marquez super, or whatever fight that was? Yes, yeah, super blurry. Not a little bit blurry. Super blurry right now. All right. I think Jay, Jay I is at home. Jay, all on, show. Jay is doing the show from like he is powering everything out of his home, and I'm telling you right now, he's missing cues, and the the stream sucks. Because he is on Cam Soda right now. I guarantee it. I guarantee it, BC. That's where he's at. Normally, I like to see uh, Jay's... All right, last but not least. Yeah, from... normally, I like to see Jay's face in that tiny Zoom window. Uh, let me say this. The last question. I would recommend fixing this dude's name. Underscore Jack. Uh, or Jack underscore with three Ks. The three Ks, BC... Never a good life choice. Either go with the two or the four or something like that, right? Nah, never, no. never the three, but okay. He says... I mean, it's on brand what? It's on brand for the stereotypical MMA fan, but I'm not into it. <laughs> Caught a glimpse of Luke Thomas's forearm tattoo, so want to know if you boys have any cool, crazy tattoo stories. I imagine Marine Time ones would be good. Uh, BC, you got any tats? I do not have any tats because uh, there are My very few froze. things in life that I just fear, loathe, and detest. And uh, spiders would be one of them. Black licorice would be another. And needles would would also be on that list. Luke, I don't know if you're going to hear me now. My internet's crazy. But um, I once had a vasectomy, and there were three yeah. needles involved. So uh, I'll never be getting a tattoo. Thank you. <laughs> three needles. Uh, three, yeah, he's, he's referencing involved. this one. This is the one that I have. It's the, yeah, I hear you. This is the Three tattoo needles, that we're talking Luke. about right here. If you you've know, not seen it before, you know what that surgery entails? Three needles, bro. Yeah, you, you can no longer procreate, one, which you know, not two. I don't think is the end of the world. Three. I needles. get it. Uh, I don't have any crazy tattoo stories, but I do have some bad ones that I'm looking to get covered up. I uh, I have a good one, which is BC. Do you know what meat tags are? No. Uh, that sounds sounds a little spicy. No. What, what are meat fuck? tags, Luke? I can meat hear tags. you. Yeah, meat I'm tags in the show are right now. essentially three needles, the, Luke. Three of yeah, okay. them. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Yeah. It is a meat tag. Is essentially the information that goes on your dog tag, except you get it tattooed on your ribs, and you do it if you're combat arms in the Marine Corps, which I was. So. I've got meat tags uh, tattooed on my ribs. I've got um, I've got a tattoo on my chest. I've got Asian characters, very small ones somewhere that I'm looking to cover up because BC, there was no way I was going to get out of my 20s without making some cataclysmically stupid decisions. That's one of them. But I've got another yes. tattoo on my back, and uh, I'm looking to get I'm looking to fill this arm up completely. So we'll see how that goes. I'm so lucky, Luke, that right. I have this aversion yes. to needles because my, you know, I would have some really bad ones. I would really have, I'd probably have girls' names, Larry Bird's uh, jersey on there. I'd probably have some really song, like real bad song lyrics from 90s bands that no one's heard of. Like, it would probably would have been really bad, you know? 
I still question if you can All right. hear me well, right with now. With that in mind, if, if uh, BC, I have to and warn. This is the end of me on this show. Yes, I do yes, want to just add for some reason, three Jay, needles, bro. Jay, three of them. Okay. Okay. With that in mind, BC, it is time for you to take over the show with your favorite segment where we look at dicks. Go ahead, good sir. <laughs> hey, you know what we do? We scour the globe for the good, bad, and ugly, the best and worst. From combat sports and the uh, beyond, Luke, it's have you seen this shit? Up first is my vasectomy here. Let's show needle number one. No, what do we got here? From one MMA, Luke, not one championship, one MMA. I got to ask you a question. Is this the best KO ever or the best celebration of a victory ever? First, you send the guy to hell. Okay, it's a good KO. And then check this out, Luke. And then he does the whole Demetrius Johnson spinning. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. It's a little I think gratuitous. He did a, like I mean, a, unless you were knocking out the guy who banged your like mom, a, uh, it's a little gratuitous. Wow. 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 All right. Dude, yeah. this is... I can't... Uh, uh, let me... Uh, hold my like, feet is BC, is your feet? BC, let me say something. I can barely see what is happening because Jay is powering everything through a potato in his house. <laughs> Jay, how about that this 90s is, this, counter? This is so terrible. You're so unbelievable. Ow! What the f? Um, so yeah, shout out to that spinning head kick and ridiculous celebration. The guy looked like uh, the guy looked like Simone Biles right there. All right, Luke. All right. No. Okay. All right. I don't know if we're live anymore, but um, we're gonna go on to number two. Uh, this is an oldie but goodie. This amateur boxing KO in which he turns this guy into Mister Freeze. It's recirculated the past week, Luke. It's one of the greatest things that ever happened. I mean, I think he knocked the guy out two separate times. Oh, man. He, he stiffened him up, turned him into a mannequin, and then just pushed him over. I mean, that's freaking brutal. Yeah, yeah, that is not great. I'm having a hard I time seen seeing anybody it, that though, frozen so. since Ted Williams. Yeah, all right, we're going to go on here. Um, skate. Let's check out a nice skateboarding fail. Let's see how this one ends here on the... Uh, on the streets of San Francisco here, Luke. Check this out. Oh, oh, God. Oh, God. Yeah. I got I got a number of a good uh, a good vasectomy doctor. He'll finish the job for you. Wow, bro, that is great. Listen, bro, it knocked him out of his shoes. Oh, God. Yes. That random spike in the ground has sent you to hell, Tony Hawk. Yes. All right. Oh, oh God. Hey, we're going to go on uh, from Armenia with love. Uh, can somebody get Mama off this slip and slide? We got a little amateur wrestling match here in the community, Luke. But as things start to heat up, whoa, whoa, Mama, throw Mama from the train. Get that Babushka lady off of there. Babushka's grandma. Uh, how do you know it's Armenia? Uh, I have I have my sources. It's it's written on the screen right there. I know you can't see it, but uh, yeah, Luke, I I, it. somebody get Abulita off the uh, off the yellow canvas what is happening here nice spell, hammer punch though spell, spell the word you just used for grandma spell it a b u l e t a abuelita abuela a b u e l a so abuelita all right i'm close i was the uh, fifth grade spelling b champion of my town and i came hey. in 14th place at the state tournament okay luke 14 right. thank you take all that right. all right very good all right all right you, you We're know, my, go you know my mom's armenia armenian she is yeah, my mom was Armenian. Yeah, she grew oh, up in Lebanon because Armenia. they were right. they were re they were uh, refugees in Syria from the uh, the the genocide that Turkey refuses to acknowledge, 
And then they, uh, my mom was born in Aleppo and then uh, moved to uh, Beirut. Well, wow, there's still time to to recognize that though. Um, shout out to to the late Mrs. Thomas. I thought she was from Qatar. That's where where all my comedy was coming from. But uh, no, shout dude, out to Armenia. A, she was an Armenian national living out of Beirut. Yeah, love it. Love the backstory, Luke. I love what makes you who you are, Luke Thomas. <laughs> a factory town in Syria. Yes, thank you. Uh, we're going to go to the gym now. Uh, check out this martial artist uh, warming up and performing. Is he setting up for a fight, Luke, or is he going to molest some kids? What is happening here? Is that Steven? Is that Wonder Boy? <laughs> what is, what's going on here? Dude, he looks like, you know, he looks, he looks like he's practicing, like, crossing guard motions. <laughs> Traffic this way. I think you know that's like 50-year-old Wonder Boy Thompson, yeah. Dude, I've, uh, you may wow. not appreciate this, right. BC. Uh, hold on, you may not appreciate this. If you go to a regular gym, and I appreciate that like regular gyms are trying to like diversify their fitness offerings, so more and more what I'm seeing, BC, is, and this was not the case 15 years ago, you're seeing heavy bags everywhere or even speed bags. If you want to see the worst fucking boxing in your life, <laughs> go to like a Gold's that has set up a heavy bag, and you will see this kind of shit constantly. I mean, what is this guy preparing to like, like, he looks like he's setting up to, to chop meat at like, like, bam, like, yeah, all right. No, he's like swatting some... butterflies. Wow. All right. Well, we're going to continue on to some uh, further ridiculous workout methods. Check out this guy on the, uh, on the elliptical machine here, Luke, setting up for uh, the coming genocide he has planned. Can we get to this? What is happening here, Luke? <laughs> <laughs> My man is just stabbing the haters. Fucking look at this. Stab. Man, Stab. You, you come out of the rest Stab. of the locker room at the gym. You, you My man brought a katana to, to fucking Planet Fitness so he could just stab imaginary haters. Oh, that's good. That's good stuff. I needed that. All right. Hey, we're going to go to KSW. Ain't that in Russia, Luke? Is that uh, Russian or Poland? Poland. Or just in a hurry. Okay, it's in Poland. Check out this uh, uh ground defense. Is that <laughs> that's how you get in a guy's guard, Luke, okay? I mean uh, I mean you gotta give the guy in the bottom credit. He was up in that ass, Luke. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, this show is so stupid. Oh, this is the dumbest <laughs> show on earth. This is uh, the crack show. kills. All right, hey, let's go back to the gym. Uh, you ever have a hype man, Luke, when you're when you're set to do a deadlift and you got one of your buddies in your face, like, "Yo, bro, you could do this." All right, that's yo, br- that's, let's that's, do that's, this, wait, wait, bro. That's, wait, 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 wait. That's Bradley. That's Bradley Martin. All right, sometimes Martin. you got to slap a guy. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, this oh is that, staged. That, that's not real, Luke. Is it? That's real. That's this fake. Right? We don't do Bradley, 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 Bradley Martin now does sketches. Yeah, this is this is not real. All right, I got caught, Luke. I'll take the L. I got caught. All right, that's not. I, I didn't think that slap was enough to to knock that guy cold. No, it's not. Luke, you know what is the worst in the gym though? When you're like 14 years old, and I've been here, and you go sit down on the bench, and you put up your like 25s on each side, and some jack dude who's wearing shorts way too small and tight comes from across the gym, is like, "Yo, can you spot me?" And you're like. Bro, I'm like 108 pounds. I'm not gonna be able to help you get this, you know, 395 off your chest that you're that like. Why do those guys do that? Because you're wrong. You can remember they can push. If that's a max load and they can get it all halfway close to it, you don't have to put exert much force on it to get up where it needs to go. You're actually wrong about that. 
I'm intimidated by that. I'm not helping anyone, okay, especially post-COVID. Hey, let's go to the soccer pitch. Look, look, we got some football. You know what the problem with your sport here, football? There's a lot of floppers. There's a lot of fakers. Check out these two guys. They, it looked like we were about to have, like, like a go at it. It looked like we are going to have some drama, some action. And then check this out. I, no, come on. That's what... <laughs> Is that a double DQ flop, oh. double knockout? Oh, yeah. You know what? I can't even lie. It is, uh, it's a terrible portion of the game, and it actually is worse depending on which country you go to. The Italians are really bad about it. I watched the Spanish League, which is worse than the Premier League about it. Um, it is The problem is they've gotten so good at it this is a bad example, but they've gotten so good that it's actually an art form now. Like, they're, they're, like they're, there are guys art. who practice no. it. You know, you know where they're not doing that shit? Armenia. I'll tell you that much, Luke. Okay, That's they don't true. mess around with that, all right? They're surviving genocides. They would not. There's shouts, no flops. Sh- shouts to uh, Henrik Mkhitaryan. All right. Hey, uh, speaking of uh, soccer and some slide tackles, here's a new way to slide in a chick's DM to get her attention. What do you think about this guy's effort? <laughs> wow. I think, <laughs> I, I think this is I, domestic abuse. <laughs> I mean, you know the kids these days, Luke, they'll do anything to, to get a viral prom asking video, right? I think he asked her to homecoming right there. Uh, yeah, did he get a yes? I don't. I can't. I mean, what is this, the caveman area where you're just clubbing a woman th- over the head and dragging her back? I think he was out at the plate on that one, Luke. Uh, yeah, wow, okay. Uh, he looks a little husky, too. I don't, I don't think he had any chance with that chick. Yeah, he's a decent athlete, though. True, That's but, a- you know, hit the gym, bro. Hit the gym, okay? Get a hype man, hit the gym. Yeah, you know? less slide tackling women, more sit ups. Uh, yeah. All right. Now it's the time in sprockets where we where we do hot dog stuff. Luke, would you eat? Now look, during quarantine, right? We're not we're not trying to leave the house. We're coming up with new cooking methods. Would you follow this, Luke? The more I watch this video, I don't know if I'm against it. <laughs> Put it on the pork cycle. Take it out. Right. You throw some ketchup on there, Luke. It all tastes the same. Seems like a fairly inefficient way to make hot dogs. I mean, first of all, if you boil hot dogs, you're an a-hole. I know I told you I did the George Foreman grill thing in my apartment when I was 20, but I was, I was real high, Luke. Come on. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I'd do this, but, you know, what if you couldn't leave the house anymore because of this code? Look, if I followed the measures of your Twitter account in terms of my own COVID safety, this may be how I'm cooking all my meals for the rest of the calendar year until February 1st, 2021, when we Bro. let crowds... Bro, just throw. I mean, do you have no stove and no pan? Nothing. You have. I mean, no microwave even. I don't understand. All right, all right. Hey, speaking of hot dogs, check out this ad. Uh, not a good look for your boy Carson Palmer, the former Heisman Trophy winner. <laughs> <laughs> Go longer. Uh, oh God. <laughs> you go any longer, bro? That's uh. <laughs> I think that's third base if you go any longer than that. Wow. All right, Luke. Yeah. Dude, where is this Uh, from? uh, uh, Shout out to the people at Morel uh, uh, Wieners. Dude, you love love the Hoagie Farts account like no one I've ever seen in my life. Dude, Hoagie Farts brings it. I I shout out to Hoagie Farts. And let me tell you, this is not uncommon. There was an ad when RG3 was big in D.C. before he completely shredded his knees to pieces where he he had a big-ass... 12-inch uh, Subway 12, sub. 12-inch what, Luke? Yeah, 12-inch Subway sub, and it was like a full 12 inches, and he was ah, on it. I'm like, yeah. RG3, I don't think this says what you think it says, buddy. Yeah, that, I, are you sure it wasn't a blacked raw commercial? I mean, come on, you know? Cam Soda. Right. Jay's probably watching it now. 
If you know, you know. Uh, hey, let's let's uh, go to this. Here's how you grab life by the horn, Luke. I think this is an Armenian army training videos. Um, whoa, what is? What do you? Uh, what? I don't understand what he did. Uh, well, you'll see, Luke. You know, I, I sing on "Do What You Like," and if you missed it, I'm the one who said just grab them in the biscuits, Luke. Is this a proper um, combat technique, or is, or, or is this how you come on to someone, Luke? I don't understand this at all. Do these guys bang each other afterwards? I, I hope. I hope not. I've seen adult movies start like this. Well, not 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 this this style, not this genre of. Uh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Have uh, you have you watched videos like this? Tell me how I they have, end, BC. I, I have not. I have not. See, this is where my career goes in the wrong direction, Luke. I don't advocate for this stuff. The people bring it to me. You should see my DMs. They're a mess. But uh, speaking of tip to tip, Luke, a movement that you were a part of. Um, one of your faithful live chat listeners sent me in this picture to close this week on Have You Seen This Shit? Luke going T to T with another man a couple weeks back. Check that out. You got some splaining to do, Luke. Oh, how did I get who's recruited? The, how did I decide the, after I had a meeting with Showtime? He's like, you know who I got to call? I got to call the guy who is obsessed with dick touching. That's the that's the call that I need to make right now. And here we are. And I got recruited into all of this. You know what? I have no one to blame but myself, BC. That's it. Yeah. I'm who, guilty as charged. Who's the lucky guy, Luke? That's my producer, Mike Russo, from the uh, from the Luke Thomas show on uh, SiriusXM. Hey, shout out to Sirius XM. Luke, I have very limited um, exposure or access to it, but uh, for Mother's Day and, and and my anniversary and my wife's birthday, which all happened with like in a week and a half, like I get I get hit hard. Uh, I got her a new car uh, the other day. Wow. So I'm rocking out with that Sirius. You know what I'm saying, Luke? Yeah, well, Channel 156. Hey, free listening until the end of the month, by the way. For, for so, yeah, okay, so just so so I actually know. Like, I should know this because we're, we're friends, Luke, and I respect you as a human, but Channel 156, what time is your show on so I could get in the car if I'm out, you know, running an errand and I can check Normal, it out? Normally, three uh, East Coast time. This week, okay. one. This week one. What's the name of the channel? Is it like Rush or something weird like that? It was. Now it's Fight Nation. And and Nation. Uh, Busted Open is on it. It's all pro wrestling, which I know you love. All right. Thank you, Sirius. I got I got 30 days with it, Luke. I, I'll try it out. All right. Thank you. There you go. Give it a good. Give it a run. You got any more dicks? All right. Have, have you seen that shit? It's over. It's over, Luke. Now we can right. keep, keep Very going. good. Uh, okay, BC. So with that in mind, now, by the way, I like how after the segment, I now can see everything clearly on Zoom, which is great. Uh, okay, with that in mind, BC, it is time for odds and ends. What is your odds and ends for Da Week? What What was that, Jason? If you're going to interrupt the show, at least speak clearly. Yeah, Jay's, Jay's all confidence now that the Zoom stream has uh, has clean, cleaned up, but go ahead. All right, my 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 uh, odds and ends this week is some news that I kind of oddly became a part of, Luke. I know people hate this. They hate the Mayweather-McGregor-type mythical crap, but I was talking to Oscar De La Hoya on my podcast, The State of Combat, on CBS Sports, and earlier in the episode, Rafe Bartholomew and I were like, you know, it's quarantine time. Let's make some fun fights. I'm like, bro, how about Oscar De La Hoya at 47 today against Conor McGregor, 10 rounds, who you got? And I assumed he would be like I would, where I'm like, you know, Connor's 31, he'll just outlast him. My boy Rafe's like, no, dude, Connor, Oscar knocked that dude out in like two rounds. I'm like, I think we got a fun fight here. Now, look, pre-disclosure, you know I, I eat hot dogs. I, I like hashtag old guy fights. I like the slop, okay? I asked Oscar that question. He's like, oh, come on, bro. I'll knock him out in two rounds, you know? 
That was the end of the conversation. Suddenly, four days later, Conor McGregor's like, I accept your offer. And this kind of became a thing for a couple days, Luke. Now, look, I know everybody watching this is cringing their, their face off at this idea. And I hope I get a cut of it, by the way, when it happens. But, Luke, tell me if I'm wrong. If those two, 47-year-old Oscar and Conor boxed for 10 rounds, you don't know what it would look like. Tell me that. You don't know what it would look like. True. There's a lot of things, though, that I don't know what it would look like that I don't have an interest in finding out what it looks I've never seen an actual shit sandwich. Fairly convinced I don't need to order one at the local, you know, bodega. Uh, to... I think we got Habib up on the screen, though. Yeah, I don't know what that's all about. I will say last week was a good week for you. So you had you started an international war between Mexico and Ireland, number one. Yes. yes. And then number two, you were the only reporter, and this is true. Uh, well, uh, subsequently, other ones asked after you. But you were the first reporter, anyway, to ask Dana to what extent were Endeavor's financial woes uh, part of the reason why they are pursuing an aggressive schedule to return. Now, he said it had no relationship. I'm skeptical of that. But... He said it, and you asked him, so I give you credit, BC. You had a strong week last week. Well, thank you. Thank you, Luke. At least somebody understands. No, I didn't ask him, hey, are you and Lorenzo still touching tips? No, I'm an actual journalist. In fact, you know what? Maybe have you seen the shit is over. Maybe you've seen all the shit already, okay? I mean, how many more hoagie farts videos can I find? Maybe it's time to take a turn for the professional <laughs> in the pot. No more karate kid caps, all right? No more weird vests, okay? It's time to it's time to get real here, Luke, okay? Yes, I interviewed Dana White on CBS Sports HQ Live for 12 straight minutes. I asked him the hard balls, Luke, all right? So get off. Uh, you certainly did. Now, BC, we'd be remiss if I didn't give you my odds and ends, which is very quickly, there is a UFC event coming up this Wednesday. We've got a lot of programming on this channel we're still trying to figure it all out, but it's going to be built around that. So stay tuned, of course. Like the video, subscribe, the whole bit. Uh, Anthony Smith is going to be taking on in the very same arena where they've been for Saturday. They're going to be here for Wednesday as well as the following Saturday. But for Wednesday show, BC, for the UFC, Anthony Smith is going to take on Glover Teixeira. I find this to be a very interesting one because it reminds me a little bit of a heavyweight dynamic which is to say heavyweight has a problem with younger talent pushing through because for some reason the older guys in that division, they age out a little bit more slowly. Like at bantamweight, crews look to be considerably slower than a 33-year-old um, uh, Henry Cejudo. And you look at the rest of the division with Sanhagen and Sterling and Jan where everyone's about 30 or less, and you can just tell there's this youth movement coming through. Uh, Smith is certainly not like super young, but he's much younger than Teixeira, who is past 40. Yet Teixeira is a very, very good fighter. And every time they keep giving this dude, more recently anyway, younger people to like kind of like push out those old guys to usher in the new ones, that old dog shows you you could teach the other ones new tricks. It's not really going to matter a whole lot. Very, very important fight for that light heavyweight division because you got Dominic Reyes. He wants a piece of John Jones. By the way, John Jones putting up some deadlifting videos over the weekend, looking very, very strong. Uh, and then you've got Jan Blahovich who wants to fist him. To me, Anthony Smith, if he gets a win over Teixeira, that'll be the second win or the first win since beating uh, Alexander Gustafson. So he loses to Jones, comes back to beat Gustafson and Teixeira. He might be in line for another title shot. To me, big doings over light heavyweight. How do you handicap that one? Yeah, and I like how you quickly looked over that no contest in that uh, that house invasion. Uh, bad joke there. I got it. Um, look, I like this fight a lot, and I've been critical of Anthony Smith in the past. Um, 
He's a tough dude, okay? And and I do, again, thank him for not taking that DQ title win. He's rebuilding himself nicely. The Gustafson win was great. This gives him that opportunity, especially with the continued back and forth with him and John, which kind of creates another angle and storyline there. And John took another cheap shot at him uh, again Saturday night on Twitter. Um, if he can get by a, a repackaged Glover Teixeira who looks a little bit reborn in his age, this is really like, yeah, this guy deserves to be right in that Dom Reyes-Blahovich conversation. I can't believe that light heavyweight is sort of repopulating itself. Like, John mm-hmm. Jones has cleaned out this division twice. I'm, I'm kind of blown away that it's starting to get fun again where, at the end of the day, do I think John Jones should go to heavyweight and fulfill the the potential, the, the, the ceiling potential of his greatness? Yes. But if he doesn't want to, there are fun fights to make. And, and you know, my boy Maheta, he's, he's going to be able to walk again one of these days too. So there's, there's some names there, Luke. I saw him at UFC DC. When was that, BC? Like October, November, something like that. I think that's right. And uh, he looked to be he he looked to be um, not running around, but he could he was mobile. Uh, Tiago Santos. So I would imagine by now he's in even better state. Hard to say exactly when he's going to be fight ready. But uh, very very interesting moment there for that light heavyweight division. And you're right. It's like, dude, John Jones. If the last couple of fights have shown anything. He is still the top dog, deservedly so, but he's human, and he's beatable. I thought Dominic Reyes did it, and Anthony yeah. Smith did not have the very best showing against him, but I'm not utterly convinced he has no shot against him either. I would like to see it if if he can get past old man Glover to share. who, by the way, I asked Glover one time, BC, I was like, who are you at the party? Right, you're at a party. What is Glover Teixeira doing? Are you the guy that's pulling people uncomfortably onto the dance floor? Are you the guy that's like, you know, outside the whole time or whatever? He says, "I'm the guy with the best stories. I'm the guy out back with a bottle of Jameson and a cigar, and I tell the best stories." That's I want very that Thomas like, right? Yeah, that's I just, want. There's a little I, Thomas in there, I, I, dude. I want that for morning combat when he retires or so he's close to it. I want to go to uh, to Shara's house, which, by the way, I don't think he lives far from you. By the way, no, I want to no, grab about forty five minutes. Yeah, I have a couple of Cuban cigars that I got from Colombia. Don't tell the uh, the U.S. government, and I'll grab a bottle of Jameson, and I want Glover to tell us stories. Wouldn't that be cool? Mindenhall lives right near there too. Maybe we get an MK Ultra party going on. I'm down with that. Yeah, one, we okay? just get drunk and smoke some cigars and talk to Glover about his crazy ass stories. That'd be awesome. Yeah, we'll go on uh, Young Jacek's Instagram account. I w- I'm down for this party, okay? <laughs> um, Luke, did you want to... Uh, oh, um, Marvin Vittori's back as well at middleweight. And, uh, you know, he's kind of a potential dark horse, so I'm interested to see. He's in the uh, main card opener. I forgot who he's fighting. Thank you. I yeah, think he, okay, he may have beaten good. Izzy. He may have uh, beaten before, Izzy. He might have. He didn't. Before we go, let's get to it here very quickly. Did you watch The Last Dance, the Jordan documentary? I think it was parts... What was it? Uh, six, seven, and eight. Seven and six eight. and seven. Seven and eight. Seven and eight. Luke, I can't keep Luke, track. It's it's so damn good. Um, I don't have profound sort of statements that we've had in previous weeks. I'm just starting to get that itchy feeling, like I don't want it to end. Like I want to see this specific attention to detail of documenting something I love, which is you know '90s hoops and Jordan's run. I just want to keep it going. I want to keep it going with this specific director and with athletes like Jordan who are literally willing to be that raw and real. I mean, the man was crying and needed a break while describing 
why he is the way he is, why he's such a hard ass, why that's the only way he can do it is to try to be the very best he can every single second. And there's certainly something inspiring about that, Luke. We all can't be wired that way um, where all of our personalities are different, but you got to really pour one out for MJ. I mean, even, you know, we've heard the story before of him going to baseball and all that, but even to see those involved in there be like, the dude was working around the freaking clock on that. I mean, Luke, do you, you look you know, in the well, mirror you know sometimes? You know what's interesting to me about this, BC, is if you are at all an NBA fan or you've been one for, let's say, some time, whatever that might mean to you, like everybody knew that Jordan was a couple of things or a few things. One, a degenerate gambler. Like sports fans, like hardcore NBA fans knew. They knew he was a vicious trash talker to opponents on the court. And they knew that he was a terrorizer of his teammates. Dude, he broke Kwame Brown during his second stint, a third stint in the NBA, essentially, as a Washington Wizard. And that was that was not the first time he had like really gone after someone. It was just emblematic of what he had been. Like this is this was an open secret, essentially, to everyone who was paying attention. I just wonder how the rest of the sporting public who's watching this documentary and did not know that. Now, how do they perceive Mike? I, I'm going to guess they're going to be forgiving of him, partly because time has passed and because, like, what are you going to do? You're going to argue with his methods? They, they worked, right? I mean, they won every time they were basically supposed to. But it, it, it's funny. It's like, it's interesting for me to watch this, but it's not, it's not exactly new information. No, not by any means, but it, it is going you know underneath it and going a little bit deeper. I was so happy that they blew up that B.J. Armstrong segment because I you know I remember that so vividly when you talk trash and you're like, oh, he's gonna get it, he's gonna get it next time. Um, Luke, I want to ask you about this phenomenon that's happening from this film, where at the end of it, I feel like I I'm just sitting there with the TV off, just like looking at my life from a distance, going. You know, like, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at what I do. I, I, I give it all. I mean, I, I feel like I give it all, but then I'm like, wait, you know, can I be MJ Kobe level maniacal? Can I go even deeper on this? Do you have those same moments? Do you look in the mirror and say, you know, I've pissed people off to win before, but maybe Luke Thomas isn't really given it all. MJ kind of fires you up to realize that, you know, he's going to turn every single practice. We're talking about practice here into like life or death. Um, is that how Luke Thomas approaches his day? Quite the opposite. Uh, I mean, you guys, you know the reality of my life, dude. I don't have a lot of free time. I I have friends, but I don't see them very much. Like, not even taking into account the pandemic, nothing like that. My life has very much become this. And I taught myself uh, everything I know about cameras, which is not to say very much, but I taught myself. I taught myself how to make my own thumbnails, how to edit on Final Cut, how to do live streams. And I screw those up even to this day, but, like, no one held my hand. And uh, it's I've had some modest success with it. So mostly after uh, one of these things, I'm like, wow, I actually put in a lot of effort and I'm still a fucking loser. <laughs> That's really what I end up saying to myself in the mirror. I don't ever have, I don't ever worry about my work ethic or did I put in the effort. I just wonder like when the ship is going to come in because motherfucker, I've been on the docks for a while. The ship has come in, okay? Toot toot. It's called Morning Combat. Uh, to close on that, we, they, they did the great Fair story enough. of Jordan challenging Steve Kerr and they had a fist fight. I'd like to see you become Jordan-esque to our, our, our extended team here. Maybe maybe it'll take you physically fighting Jay to get him to at the level that you need him to be each week. Well, dude, listen. If Jay can beat up Uriah Hall in sparring, which he has openly claimed... 
I don't know what yeah, shot I really true. have. I don't know what shot I have, BC. If 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 you know if he's beating UFC middleweights cleanly, <laughs> it's too tall an order for me. All right. He says he, he says spinning back kick. He knocked Uriah Hall over with that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Uh, he hit right. him so hard he gave Jacare the COVID. Okay. Uh, all right, let's do this. We have uh, we have to get out of here. First things first, as always, please like the video, subscribe to the channel. They're going to put our social information below. You can, of course, hit that notification bell so you can see all the videos that we put out all week, not just the ones on Monday. There is uh, the information for both BC and I on Instagram as well as Twitter and, of course, Instagram and uh, YouTube for Morning Combat. BC, this is a busy week for us. I felt today was a great show, except for when Cam Sodas uh, interrupted our feed here because Jay was busy on it. But we have a lot more in store for people this week, <laughs> do we not? Yeah, look, uh, people love a good spinoff, right? You forget that Family Matters, great 90s sitcom, was a spinoff of Perfect Strangers, right? Carl Winslow's wife worked in the damn mailroom with Balki Bartakamus. This MK product starting to grow some wings. You're going to start to see the fruit of that. I know we've teased it a little, uh, but it's coming. It may come this week. You may, it, you may get a little taste. All right, last but not least, if you would like to try Showtime for free, a free trial, you may do so. Simply go to Showtime.com. You can get a 30-day free trial. As I always tell you, if you like it, you can keep it. If not, you can bounce. The choice is yours, but you can at least give it the old test drive for 30 days uh, without charge. Okay? All right, we have to get out of here. College of William and Mary try, Luke. Oh, yes. Uh, By the way, I was supposed to uh, tell you that Friday night, I believe they're going to air... Is it is, I know they're airing Mayweather versus McGregor. Are they airing Mayweather Pacquiao too, Jay? I think it's Mayweather Maidana, right? Mayweather great, Maidana. Great preparation here. I don't know, Jay. I, don't, I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know. All right. Here's what I do know. So they're going to air Mayweather Maidana and then Mayweather McGregor on Showtime on Friday night. BC and I are going to be with you on Friday night as we do a classic combat YouTube live uh, additional stream. We're going to drink beers, we're going to talk about the fights, and they're going to air some interesting ones from Floyd Mayweather. So should look, be a lot of fun. This is going to be a fun night. It's going to be money. Uh, 10 Eastern on Showtime. Uh, look, just come crack jokes with us, okay? It's an interactive experience. You send in your comments, your questions. We'll crack a couple cold ones with you. It should be a fun time. All right. With well, that being said, go follow BC over at uh, CBS Sports and everything else he's got going on. For BC, I am Luke Thomas, and everyone here and Malka and Showtime and the whole Morning Combat crew, really appreciate you guys watching, and until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.